Let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. We are continuing in our series on what are called the Hallelujah Psalms. The last five Psalms in the book of Psalms. We looked at Psalm 146 last Sunday evening. And they are called the Hallelujah Psalms because they all begin and end with Hallelujah, translated praise the Lord. So you'll see praise the Lord at the very beginning, praise the Lord at the very end in each of these Psalms. And each of them is full to overflowing with reasons we should praise the Lord. And in Psalm 147, there are actually three categories of reasons to praise the Lord, creation, character, and covenant. We're gonna be thinking about those words over the next two times we're in Psalm 147. Creation, character, and covenant. God's works of creation means that he's worthy of praise. God's character, of course, we should praise him for. And God's covenant, his covenant love and grace that he shows towards his people. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the first of those three this morning, along with the call to praise the Lord that's given three times in the Psalms. So you can see in your sermon notes there, call and then covenant, or rather creation. And then at the bottom, we'll look at next time, the remaining two reasons, God's character and God's covenant. And my hope is that we'll come away from this Psalm and really from all these Psalms in this Hallelujah Psalms series with hearts that are full to overflowing with praise to God. So we wanna listen to these Psalms that are overflowing with reasons to praise him and ask the Lord to fill our hearts to overflowing with praise of him. Let's pray for that and then we'll begin. God, we do ask that you would fill our hearts to overflowing with the praise of you. We know we need these psalms because our hearts are prone to wander from you. We need these calls to praise you and these reasons to praise you. And so we pray that you would open our hearts and fill them up. Fill us with your word and your spirit so that our hearts and our lives overflow in praise of you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 147, reading the whole psalm. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. 
Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. As I said, we're gonna cover the first two points in your sermon notes this time, the call to praise the Lord and the first of these three reasons to praise the Lord because of God's works of creation. Next time we'll cover God's character and God's covenant. In terms of the call to praise the Lord, you may have noticed this as I read the psalm, but there are three calls in the psalm in verse one, then down in verse seven, and again down in verse 12, and we're gonna look at those in turn. In verse one, we read, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Praise the Lord, that is, worship the Lord. Adore God, give glory to God. Praise him with your lips and praise him with your life. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise the Lord is the call here in verse one. You know, when you think about it, we are praisers by nature. We are worshipers by nature. We all worship and praise. It's, it's not just something we do, though. It's more fundamentally who we are. We are praisers. That's how God made us. That's how God has wired us. We're like a waterfall that never stops. We continually pour out praise and worship all of our lives. So the question is not whether we will praise and worship. The question is what or who we will praise and worship. And we know that our instinct, our sinful instinct, sadly, is, as Paul says in Romans 1, to praise and worship the creature rather than the creator. To give our hearts to the things of earth instead of the king of heaven. But what this psalm does is it calls us to look up and to direct the flow of our praise to the one who is most praiseworthy, to the Lord, to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to our gracious covenant Lord. So praise the Lord, praise him is the call. Why should we praise the Lord? Well, the psalmist gives us lots of reasons in the rest of the psalm because God is the creator and because of his character and because of his covenant love and grace toward his people. But here in verse one, you'll notice that he says we should praise the Lord because, or for, it is good and pleasant and fitting to praise him. 
For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting, the psalmist says. We should praise the Lord because it is good to sing praises to the Lord. Even if it doesn't always feel good to sing praises to the Lord, it is good to sing praises to the Lord. It's good because God is good. It doesn't say it is boring to sing praises to God because God is not boring. It says it is good to sing praises to God because God is good. He is good. And he says it is pleasant to sing praises to God. It's not unpleasant. If something's unpleasant, you don't really look forward to it, right? Like having a tooth pulled. Can't wait to get it over with. But of course, that's not how it should be with singing to our God. That's not unpleasant. That's pleasant. And therefore, we should look forward to it as the people of God. We, we shouldn't think, I can't wait till this is over. We should think along the lines of verse one. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant We should pray that our attitude would match those words in verse one. It is good, it is pleasant to sing praises to our God. And he says at the end of verse one, a song of praise is fitting. Kids, if you tried to put on the shoes of one of your older siblings or perhaps one of your younger siblings, they wouldn't fit, right? They'd either be too big or maybe too small. Your own shoes are the ones that fit, the ones that fit your feet. Well, in this verse, it says that a song of praise is fitting. Singing praise to God fits our souls like our shoes fit our feet. It is fitting for us to sing praise to God. And that's because of who he is and what he's done for us. So the first call is praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Came across this quote from Charles Spurgeon in my study this week. He said, Jehovah and happy praise should ever be associated in the mind of a believer. Jehovah and happy praise should be associated in our minds. The second call is down in verse seven. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. We're called to sing to the Lord, which is something we can do in our homes, of course, in family worship. We can even do in the private of quiet time each day, sing to God. Or while we're doing chores or taking a shower or driving in the car, but mainly it's something we do in corporate worship with the whole corpus, the whole body, which is what the psalmist has in mind here. We were made to sing. God made each one of us with the capacity to sing. Just like the birds were made to sing, we were made to sing. But even more so, we were redeemed to sing. Psalm 40, verses two and three. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. In other words, he saved me. Then it says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So the birds were made to sing and so were we, but the birds have not experienced salvation. 
We have. So we have more to sing about than the birds do. So let's not let them outsing us. And notice he says to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Of course, with thanksgiving in our hearts first and then in our voices. Since we don't want to thank God with our lips only and not also with our heart. We're to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, thanksgiving for who he is, for all of his wonderful attributes, his infinity and eternality and unchangeability, for his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, and so on. We want to thank him for who he is. We also want to thank him for what he's done for us, electing us to salvation before there was time, accomplishing our salvation on the cross, regenerating our hearts and effectually calling us to himself at the appointed time for us, applying the salvation that was accomplished and determined, enabling us to repent and believe the gospel, justifying us and adopting us and sanctifying us and promising to glorify us at the end. We're to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving for all of those things, for the gospel, thanksgiving for eternal life, Thanksgiving for union and communion with the triune God. And what should that sound like? Well, regardless of our singing ability, singing with true thanksgiving is gonna sound a lot different than singing sort of half-heartedly and wishing you were someplace else. Singing with thanksgiving will be loud and full and energetic and joyful And that's how we want our singing together to be here in corporate worship as we sing to the Lord with thanksgiving in our hearts. Spurgeon again said, Jehovah is ever engaged in giving. Let us respond with thanksgiving. Let's sing to the Lord with genuine thanksgiving, real thanksgiving in our hearts and evident thanksgiving in our voices. The third call is down in verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Jerusalem is the city. Zion or Mount Zion is the hill that the city sits on top of. But both are used here, of course, to refer to the people of God. And the people of God are called to praise God. And we are called to do this together. Jerusalem and Zion don't refer to an individual, they refer to a people, the people of God. And though of course we're to praise him individually, we are also to praise him corporately, all together. So if you like baseball, it's fun to watch a game on TV, but how much more fun is it to go to a game? Because if you go to a game, you're part of the crowd. It's a corporate experience, not just an individual experience. And it's better corporately, wouldn't you say that? Certainly if that's true of baseball, how much more true is it of praising God? It's better corporately. Long ago, the Puritan David Clarkson preached a sermon entitled, Public Worship to be Preferred Before Private Worship. That's a thought-provoking title, isn't it? Which would you prefer, public worship or private worship? A Sunday service here in the sanctuary or a quiet time in the comfort of your own home? 
Clarkson makes the case from scripture that public worship is to be preferred before private worship. And not to denigrate private worship in any way, it's vital that we spend time alone with God each day, reading our Bibles, meditating on the word, spending time in prayer for ourselves and others. But Clarkson says that public worship is to be preferred before private worship, and he gives 12 reasons, and I'm not going to list them, Uh, but reasons like there is more of the Lord's presence in public worship than in private, or public worship is the nearest resemblance to heaven. Perhaps look up that sermon and read it this afternoon, David Clarkson public worship to be preferred before private. We are called to praise the Lord together, to praise our God corporately in public worship, like our Savior did. Hebrews chapter 2, 11 and 12. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. So the call is to praise the Lord. Why do we need these calls to praise? Well, we need them for a number of reasons, but I think one of them is because of our deeply ingrained selfishness and worldliness that we all have. We tend to focus on ourselves and on this world instead of God and the world to come. Our thoughts pull inward and downward like the force of gravity. And we need these calls to pull us upward and outward. It should be instinctive for us to praise the Lord with our lips and our lives, but sadly it's not because we're sinners and we need to be called to praise. And of course, we don't just need to be called to praise, we also need to be equipped to praise. And God has done that for us in the gospel. He has given us new hearts. He has changed us from the inside out. He has set us free from the shackles of our selfishness and our worldliness. And though we still fight against those foes, they've already been dealt a death blow by Christ. It's only a matter of time before they are defeated fully and finally and forever. And in light of all that, because of all that being true, we are now able to praise God. We are now able to join our Savior in singing God's praise in the midst of the congregation. If it weren't for Jesus, these calls to praise would just bounce right off us, like seed falling on the path or on the rocky soil in the parable. But because Jesus has changed our hearts and softened our hearts, these calls to praise sink in and take root. God uses them to pull our focus from inward and downward to upward and outward. He uses them to sharpen our focus on praising and worshiping him in our lives. So that's the call to praise the Lord that we're given in verses one and seven and 12. But as I said, we're also given lots of reasons to answer that call, to praise the Lord. And 
We've already been filling up with reasons to praise the Lord, namely because it's good and pleasant and fitting to do so, and we should sing to him with thanksgiving because of having so much to be thankful for. There's all these reasons already. We're sort of halfway full. We wanna be full to overflowing, so let's look at what else we're given here. We'll spend the rest of our time this morning on the first of these three additional reasons. We should praise the Lord because of his work of creation, because of his work of creation. Technically, his works of creation and providence, the fact that he made the world and the fact that he governs the world, I'm just labeling it as creation to capture this category of reasons we're given to praise God. And there are three parts of the psalm where we're given reasons in this category. If you look at these quickly, you'll notice verse four is a creation reason, verses eight and nine, and then verses 15 through 18. And we're actually gonna look at them in reverse. Look at verse 15. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Like a general in an army gives orders that are carried out by the soldiers who are under his authority, God gives orders to the earth and his word runs swiftly, his word of command. Psalm 33, verse six and verse nine. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Or think of what Hebrews 12, verse three says about our Lord Jesus. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Verse 16, he gives snow. Snow is a gift from God. Remember that next time it snows. This is a gift from God. He gives snow like wool, it says, so sort of like the soft, white wool of a lamb. He scatters frost like ashes. So if you picture ashes, ashes can be black or gray, certainly, but they can also be light gray or even white. So the frost on a cold winter morning can look like someone scattered light colored ashes all over the ground. And God is the someone who did that, who does that. He scatters frost like ashes. Verse 17, he hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? Crystals of ice probably refers to hail or perhaps sleet, but we should note that they are his crystals of ice. And when it's bitter cold outside, we should remember that it's his cold. Matthew Henry wrote, it is of his sending and therefore we must bear it patiently and be thankful for warm houses and clothes and beds to relieve us against the rigor of the season and must give him the glory of his wisdom and sovereignty, his power and faithfulness which shall not cease any more than the seasons. And he quotes Genesis 8:22. while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. 
as we sing together, summer and winter, and winter, and springtime and harvest, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Winter might not be your favorite season. It's not my favorite season either. But it's helpful to remember that winter weather comes from our wise Father. And he is worthy of our praise for all of these things. But then, wonderfully, there's the thaw of verse 18. He sends out his word, again, and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. The waters that were frozen begin to flow again. So this is talking about springtime. It's not always winter. After winter comes spring in the good providence of God. Matthew Henry again, listen to what he says. This thawing word may represent the gospel of Christ and this thawing wind, the spirit of Christ for the spirit is compared to the wind, John 3, 8. Both are sent for the melting of frozen souls. Converting grace, like the thaw, softens the heart that was hard, moistens it and melts it into tears of repentance. It warms good affections and makes them to flow, which before were chilled and stopped up. The change with which the thaw makes is universal and yet gradual. It is very evident, and yet how it is done is unaccountable. Such is the change wrought in the conversion of a soul when God's word and spirit are sent to melt it and restore it. So the reasons to praise are piling up, are filling up. Look at verses eight and nine. He covers the heavens with clouds. All kinds of clouds. So kids, think of the different kinds of clouds you may have learned about or may be learning about. Cirrus and stratus and cumulus and cumulonimbus. I think it's the first time that cumulonimbus has been a key word for kids in the bulletin, a little hint. And other kinds. And especially when it's rather gray and gloomy out, it's helpful to remember that it is God who covers the heavens with clouds. And also that the sun is still shining up there above. He prepares rain for the earth. And though rain sometimes messes up our plans, it's an opportunity to submit to God's plans and to remember that he prepares rain for the earth. It's an opportunity to remember the great truth of Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. He makes grass grow on the hills. Remember that next time you're tempted to grumble because it's time to mow the lawn. 
He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Listen to Psalm 104, 27 and 28. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. So you might be the one to feed your dog or feed your cat or feed your farm animals. But God is the one who provides the food. He's the cook. You are the waiter. One more reason to praise God for this morning. Look at verse four. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. I love how Isaiah 40 verse 26 puts it. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He determines the number of the stars. This truth about God is just mind-blowing because how many stars are there? Well, it's estimated that in our galaxy, the Milky Way, there are something like 100 billion stars. 100 billion stars. That number is nearly impossible to wrap our minds around. Apparently, the internet told me, if you laid out 100 billion stars, Single dollar bills, one dollar bills, end to end. If you laid out 100 billion of them, it would wrap around the earth 387 times. Isn't that amazing? So 100 billion stars is a lot of stars. But that's just the number of stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. It's estimated that there are two trillion galaxies in the universe. God made. So how many stars are there total? Well, something like 100 billion times 2 trillion. Whatever that number is. He determines the number of the stars, it says. Think about it this way. We have as many reasons to praise God as there are stars in the sky. But then it says... He gives to all of them their names. To make them all is amazing. To name them all is even more amazing. Our God is worthy of our praise. Last word this morning. We will never run out of reasons to praise God. And just like this psalm is overflowing with reasons to praise him, We want our hearts to be full to overflowing with praise of him. We don't want our hearts to be full of the world. We don't want our hearts to be full of sin. We don't want our hearts to be full of self. We want our hearts to be full of God. So let's let this psalm fill our hearts with reasons to praise God. And by his grace, 
by the powerful working of his spirit in our hearts, we will be full to overflowing with the praise of God with our lips and with our lives. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would fill our hearts to overflowing with the praise of you. Help us to respond to this psalm, to the truths we've considered together from it this morning, to respond with praise from our hearts, both with our lips and with our lives, by your grace and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.